Why Ephesians? Well, partly because it is such a central and remarkable book, but partly also because the message of Ephesians is a message which will equip you to be God's people for tomorrow's world in some very specific and exciting ways which we are going to need. You need to be light on your feet and prepared to take a fresh look at Scripture, a fresh read of what God is saying to the world through Scripture in order to be people who can breathe that out in new ways into God's world for tomorrow's world. What do I mean? Well, chapter 1, verse 10 is a verse which actually the church in the Western world has studiously ignored. Please do not you ignore it. Because Paul says in verse 10 that God's plan for the fullness of time was to gather up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. We have lived in a culture which has separated heaven and earth, which thinks of heaven as somewhere up there, a long way away, somewhere that maybe we'll go to one day, but it's not really got much to do with who we are down here. We didn't get that from the Bible. We got it from the Western philosophical and intellectual tradition, which 200 years ago conveniently decided that we would kick God and his heaven upstairs out of sight so that we could run the world the way we wanted down here. And we have seen not only the world, but also, heaven help us, God, Jesus, the Bible, ourselves as praying Christians, in the light of that. And we have lived split-level lives. And we have got a split-level eschatology about where we will go after death. We will leave this world and go to heaven. But actually, the Bible puts it back the other way around. The last great scene in the Bible is not about people being taken away from earth to go to heaven. It is about the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth so that God's world will be one. And the good news is that in Jesus Christ, that has already happened. In Jesus, the twin halves of God's good creation have already been joined and joined once and for all and forever. And we as followers of Jesus Christ are called to live already in a world in which heaven and earth have come together once and for all. It may not look like that when you read the newspapers, when you see what's on the television. Often you say, if this is what heaven on earth looks like, then something has gone badly wrong. And that's true. But through the power of Jesus Christ, in the strength of his spirit, we are enabled to be people through whom what Jesus launched can actually become a reality. We are to be people, as that first chapter goes on, through whom the power which raised Jesus from the dead will be at work so that signs and elements of that heaven and earth reality will come to birth in our midst. Many of us have grown up, and I certainly grew up, in a world and a church which simply didn't look at it like that, where heaven, as I say, was a long way away, and we just had to muddle along on earth as best we could and hope to get to heaven one day. We have been robbed of a central bit of our inheritance. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as in heaven. And Jesus launched that heaven and earth project, and it's not going away until one day it is fully completed when God's work is fully done. says, we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. That God has given us many, many gifts, 
God wants us to be his poem in and for the world. Artists, musicians, poets, dancers among you, this is your chance. tense you think it gets the point across we're in the middle of this series of studying Ephesians and the point of looking at Ephesians is that God wants to make us faithful to his calling cheerful in his service and fruitful in his kingdom and that was how that thing just ended in the, in the result and understanding in the day and the hour and the time with which that we live Boy, it just seems like things are just fast-paced and moving and so much quicker and uh, going on and on. You received when you came in today or you brought back with you a bookmark. Would you take that out for just a second and uh, take it out of your Bible that you probably bought, brought unless you brought it on your smartphone and you can't quite slide this into your smartphone. So it's uh, a little bit old-fashioned there. But if you have that bookmark out, it's, it's entitled Stronger. And you see the, uh, the, the wood... Uh, sections that have been put down behind us there and we've talked about that and Pastor Nicole started this particular series and when when she first looked at the series asked me if I would take the second one and go through this so this was planned for quite a while and I appreciate that opportunity but uh, on that bookmark on the back side of that if you recall we were challenged with a thought last week do you remember what that was to memorize yeah I love that I love that that's the educator in me that comes out that every time I teach every time I speak I love to be able to give some memory verse because frankly without the Word of God it doesn't matter all right I don't care if you remember what I say but I, rem I care if you remember what God says and so there's there, there's a scripture verse there and uh, frankly I want us to say it together I won't embarrass you I won't call on you one at a time to stand up and say it so we can do it together how's that sound so if you need to use your little card that's quite all right but I want us to say it together because it's important we've got four of these so, all right you ready let's go in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will you got to let that sink in. And so hopefully this week you've taken that card. I know I did. I put it in my Bible. I grabbed another one here. To, it was a little fresher. The one in my Bible's kind of curled a little bit. It's always nice whenever you see that kind of getting moved. But I want you to, I want to encourage you to continue to look over those and let, let those sink in rather deep into your soul and into your spirit because it's the Word of God that changes us, not just our own ideas. Well, this is the second week of a series that we're doing. And uh, I want you to understand that just like as we talked about uh, last week, as Pastor Nicole talked about, and she had some of the logs up here, and we looked at the slices, and she, she talked about those that study that and look at the rings and can tell how old something typically is. And she can also tell by looking at the rings as to the condition, whether it was distressed or some other things that went on with that. And frankly, the larger the tree, the stronger it becomes, as we know. Uh, the, the, more we, the longer we've been in Christ, hopefully the stronger that we've become. And uh, you can't really slice us open and look at our rings to see what's happening. But there is a way with which that we can measure it, because it's a process. These two chairs I asked to be put back up again today, because she used them last week. And uh, in the midst of that, we find out that Paul is writing a letter, a circular letter, 
that wasn't to just one church, but was to those churches that were in Ephesus. And it was meant to be passed around, so it wasn't just for one group, it was for all of those who were in the region. And that being the case, she talked about how important it is we've got two seats. The seat that I sit in, I can come in here and I can sit down here and say, this is who I am. I've been created, I'm flesh, I'm blood, I'm here, and here I am. And he says, but you're not supposed to stay in that seat. Because frankly, as you have now understood, as the gospel message has been told to us, as it's been shared with us, we are to move from that seat and to sit in the seat, not in Jesus' seat, but that he would flow in and through us. We sang about it today, that we are now in Christ. And if we are in Christ, what does that mean for us? What exactly am I supposed to be doing as a result of that? That's what this series is about. We were challenged with the idea, and I love it. She's so bold, she said it this way. It's time to grow up. I love that. I love it when a pastor tells us, grow up. Grow up out of what we were and into the future. Now, I can tell you, I've been around a long time, and there's certain things. I've been in, I've been in the church for about 38 years, and I've seen a lot over the, over, over the change. And I've also realized that as we get older, sometimes we like to remember sometimes the good old days. But at the same time, we also realize that it's a process. And God says that process is ever going, and it's ever moving. And in the midst of that, I brought something with me to add to that fact that we need to understand who we are in Christ. God has given us as the church some gifts. I put four gifts here today because there are some spiritual gifts. There are four of them that are talked about, and I'm going to allude to that a little bit later in the message. But I want you to understand that it's his spiritual gifts that he's given to us to help us to understand and to bring order to the very fact that he says, sit in the right seat and make sure that you are what I want you to be and that you are growing up and developing into him. Because all the blessings that he gave us are from Christ. And we need to understand what those are. And that's where the church has come together. Interesting thought, though, a unique characteristic of the church is that it's the world's greatest agent for peace, and yet its very message is conflict-producing. And that's part of what I want to talk about today. Unfortunately, I get the topic, healthy conflict. And so I get to tell you how it is that we're going to have a good church fight. No, I'm just kidding. That's not where we're going here, especially after we just elected a pastor, right? No. I will tell you, Jesus himself, the Prince of Peace, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 34, said this, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. What did he mean by that? When the church is at its very best in terms of being faithful in its living and its preaching and its teaching, it's usually then that conflicts may be greatest in number and intensity. You mean to tell me there's conflict in the church? Yes, there is. And there's a reason for it. Because part of that conflict, just like if you look at these trees and you look at where they're planted and what happens, there's all kinds of conflict or tension that develops around them, which makes them even stronger. If you take out the absence of conflict in what we're doing, none of us would grow. So what does God think about this conflict? What are we supposed to think? Can it truly be healthy? Well, it can, and I want to peel it off just a little bit. This morning, I want to describe for you conflict. It's described as two or more objects trying to occupy the same space at the same time. It's like two cars trying to get into the same parking place. And you've seen some of those videos sometimes of two people that just literally, I mean, I've circled a parking lot and I'm, that's my space. Oh, better yet, let's talk about the traffic jam on Peach Street, right? How many times do you get in the far left lane, those that of us are local, we're coming up Peach, right? And we've waited our turn. And you see somebody goes in that middle lane, goes all the way up and slides over real quick. And uh, I know my wife sometimes will say to me, why is it you gun a little quicker when you see somebody coming up? And I said, I don't know. 
I just want them to wait their turn. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, I don't know that it's right. That's conflict, folks. It's also defined as two persons trying to have their own way regarding a decision, any decision, any kind of thing. Conflict or tension then begins to arise when one party's values, goals, or territory seem to carry over into another. It always involves an action, a threat, and then a reaction. They've defined it. I noticed this years ago in graduate school, I, I took a particular class on conflict resolution, and one of the things they taught us many years ago, which I've used it for I don't know how long, is that there are five stages in every conflict that we go through. They can be as short as a couple of seconds to as long as a number of years in each stage, but every conflict goes through the same thing. The first one is this. It's what's called tension development. Something happens. It's very minor, but you said something, a look, uh, something happened, and I may have gotten offended. I may not have got offended, but I just assumed that something was a little bit different. And usually we don't confront at that particular time because we feel like it's a little trite, it's very small. Moves immediately into the next stage, or sometimes a little longer, into role development, which means, is that, what they, is that what they really meant? Or is that what I thought? Or is that what I heard? And so it goes from tension development into role development, which takes us into the third one. And this is where most people end up camping out and where most disaster happens, and it's called injustice collecting. Because what happens is then we start gathering baggage. The longer any kind of uh, tension or conflict within a relationship or within a church, the longer it lasts in that area, we start adding things to it. And the next thing you know, people then are arguing and it's, they're attacking the person rather than the issue. Most of the time, the longer it stays in injustice collecting, we forget what the issue was. So the earlier you confront, now I know there are some personalities that say, I don't confront. And there are other personalities that say, oh, I love to confront. And God made us all diverse and, and so, so unique. And some of them like to jump right in and others don't. But let me tell you something. Don't think of confrontation as being negative. Think of it as carefrontation. For you high S personality types, it makes it feel a whole lot better. The sooner in that conflict cycle that you address it and that you ask for clarification, the easier it is to deal with it. The fourth stage in that is confrontation, and the fifth one is usually an adaptation. You make an adjustment. A lot of times if there's a conflict, if it's risen too long, it goes too far, we've gathered too much baggage, people have had enough, they don't want to confront, so they flee. And so they go somewhere else. Happens in churches all the time that people will say, well, I'm just not going to go there anymore, they don't feed me. The problem wasn't the church, the problem was you. The problem was I don't come to your house to feed you, you feed you, but my job is to help equip and to, and to unfold it. So that's what happens is that. Did you know that most conflicts are just a result of a simple misunderstanding? I've also discovered in all my years of ministry, I would say almost all, it's not quite because I have run into a few exceptions, but almost all of conflict that's happened within relationships is over personality. That's why over 30 years ago when we started having our kids, I found myself starting to study about personality profiles and understanding what makes each of us tick. And uh, I discovered actually because of one of my child children who remained nameless, Krista, um, who actually <laughs> caused me, and I, I had a thing with my kids years ago when they were smaller that every time I used their name, I paid them five bucks because it wasn't fair to pastor's kids that they always get quoted. But frankly, Krista's not here and she's 33 today, so who cares, right? But I'm going to tell you, she was our strong-willed child, and it was one of those that I just tried to figure out what makes her tick. And I understood that in the midst of that, I realized that along with Scripture, God says, you know, train up a child in their natural bent, in the way that I formed them, 
and then they'll understand. And so it caused me to realize in the midst of that that part of conflict is all personality driven. So if we stick to the issues, we'll realize I'm not attacking a person. So it creates conflict. It's because, and I want you to know, this is another thing I've discovered recently, that people really don't do things against you. They do things for themselves because of our motivational gifts. We'll talk about that in just a minute. I'll just highlight that and, and just let me allude to it that I don't have time to go into it as in depth. But we've talked about a lot of this stuff in the foundations class, of which a lot of you have taken. If you haven't, I encourage you to do that. Nice little plug, how's that? But I will tell you, no relationship can exist very long without there being a change or a threat to the expectations. Fortunately, the church is no different because it's made up of people. It goes the same way. However, this tension or conflict does not have to be negative. It can be very healthy, and it can make us stronger, and it can make us grow in Him. I see two conflicts within us today, and those I want to address in a generalized sense. We didn't give you notes uh, this particular time because, well, we just didn't give you notes. How's that sound? So you can take your own as far as that if you need to. But I see two conflicts within our bodies, each of us, and, and, and one of those being within us and one of us being within the body as a whole. And each of them are at different stages that we work through, and left undone, well, they don't produce good results. But if we'll follow according to what Ephesians is saying, what Paul is saying, if we follow the prescription that he gives us there, I'll tell you, that healthy conflict, or that conflict itself will turn into a negative, which will cause us to grow stronger, which will cause us to do exactly what he wants us for us to do. And I want to pick that up in chapter 4, right smack in the middle of the sixth chapter letter that he wrote to the Ephesians. And starting in verse 1, as a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. In the middle of this circular letter, he comes up with a word, and if you look at it in the New American Standard, which is a little, I mean, I have a tough time with some of the translations, and different people will take an English vernacular, and they'll say, well, that's exactly what it says. You've got to go back to some of the original text, and different ones, different way. The New American Standard starts off with, therefore, continue to walk in a manner worthy. In the NIV, he uses the word then. It's the same thing. It's, It's the word then that ties the first three chapters into the last four. The first three chapters are the gospel story, Jesus Christ being in us. The next three chapters are about how we respond to that. And what Paul is saying is, because you sit in this seat, because Christ is in you, this is how you should walk. I had a thought, it wasn't in my notes. When the Nicaragua team was up here and we were praying for you, and Pastor Don made the comment and he said, I'm going to pray that when your feet hit the ground, something happens. It suddenly dawned on me that I know that when it comes to missions trips, you guys have planned, you've prepared, you've done everything that you know to do. But the fact of the matter is, God said it isn't about the works that you're going to do. It's about the fact that your presence is going, because he does the work. And, and what I sensed, and really in the midst of this, is saying, if we understand, if we grasp this concept that Christ is in us, and that we make ourselves available, you're going to see as we walk through the process that sometimes the conflict, sometimes the things that we come up against, sometimes the tough things that, that, that we run up against are actually his plan to make us stronger so that when we land somewhere and we step in, suddenly it seems like a piece of cake because he's got a plan. You, you follow what I'm saying? That's where I'm going with this. And I better stick to my notes or I'll never get through this. So in the middle of that, Paul is saying, now then, therefore... This is how I want you to respond. Interesting that he starts off with, 
I want you to grasp, though, what God has done for you, what God has given to you, and what God has provided for you before you do anything. I want you to live a life that's worthy. Now, it's been a little while, but I remember back in 1970 when I was 14, I got saved. June 14th, 1970. And that night we got baptized, my mother and I, both on the same day. And from then on, I found out, okay, now what am I supposed to do now that I'm saved? I responded to the altar, and we, we, we went forth, and I understood that something happened. But for the next number of weeks, nobody talked to me. Nobody said anything. I found myself going from Sunday to Sunday. I, I looked around, and I saw people showing up with this big, huge black thing. It's called a Bible. So we got one. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I started to readeth it, and it was all in King of Jameth. <laughs> and we don't speaketh that it wayeth anymore. And it was a little bit hard to understandeth, if you know what I'm saying. And yet I got a Bible because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. That's how I thought I was supposed to walk. And I realized there was a conflict in that nobody mentored, nobody discipled. Nobody sat down and said, ah, wait a second. You need to learn to sit before you walk. And all I did was I started walking and I started looking around. And I found people when they sang, they raised their hands. I guess I'm supposed to raise my hands. Not sure what that means, but I'll raise my hands, okay? And until we understand who Christ is in us, we tend to focus on the outside, which creates conflict that says, how am I supposed to act? Remember when you get somebody, and I hate this one, and I'll tell you why I hate it in a minute. I hate this when somebody says, but I thought you were a Christian. Oh, you know the best way to respond to that? Because I am, and I'm saved by grace. Now, we react to it. You know why we react to it? Because we're still dealing in the flesh. That's why I hate that one. It's exactly it. When somebody says that, they're trying to get at you. Jesus paid it all, folks. He took it all. And you bet you thought you were a Christian. A Christian means I've been saved and forgiven and redeemed and all of that. And it makes it really exciting. So we need to learn how to sit before we walk. Because if you don't understand who you are in Christ, you're going to act the same way you did before, only you're going to do it on the external, and you're not going to do it on the internal. You see the difference? That's what Paul is saying. Second conflict in the midst of this. You have an internal conflict that says, I'm not sure what to do. That's the reason for classes like Starting Point and New Beginnings and, and getting into a small group to where you're able to ask questions and understand. I love it nowadays with the apps that we have on some of the smartphones that we're able to, version's perfect. No charge, go in there, you, you go down through, and I, I probably have six, eight Bible studies going at once on different topics and being able to learn through. And you know what? I just allow God to just speak to my heart. And then sometimes I just stop with that and I just read in another area. Nobody taught me that years ago. And that's what we need. We need to know who we are in Christ before we go any far. Any. See, God is the initiator. We're not. We get into this works mindset. We get into this idea that I think, if I just became better, then people around me will realize I'm a Christian. And we try so hard. And Jesus says, no. And Paul even wrote it. He said, no, let his work be in you. Let him grow you. Those trees that we look back back there, I mean, there's a good chance that we could find out they've probably been around for a few years. You think? They weren't planted last summer. They've been around. It's a process. And when we're in the process, we immediately want to be incredibly strong and move forward. And he says, no, it's a process. Let the word of God dwell in you and let it work through you. But then we need to realize God's the initiator. We're the responder. For God so loved that he gave I love because he first 
loved me. And because he loved me, I can love others. Am I going to do it perfectly? No. That's what these gifts are for. Because part of these gifts Paul wrote, and he said, the Lord gave us spiritual gifts, and he gave us four types. And in the midst of that, we'll get to those in a minute. All right? But he said, like, I like what Pastor Nicole said last week, just to recap real quick. All of the blessings that he gave to us are from being in Christ. We were told that we're revelation receivers. That's the point. He made known to us the mystery. He gave us these gifts. And then we're to reflect his image. Let his image just flow through us. When somebody says to me, I thought you were a Christian, I just it causes me to stop and say, well, maybe I didn't let him work in me through far enough. Or I got to also tell you, there's another part to this. And that is the world is trying so desperately. They want an absolute. And they want to, they, they tend to want to pull it down because if they can pull it down, then it's no good than anything else. It's just like anything else. So let them tear at that. Because you know, Jesus can defend himself. And he always has. So we're just the image reflectors. And lastly, we've got to remember that we're completely redeemed is what we were told. Death has been reversed. And how do we respond to that? <laughs> I love it. As, as a true sanguine like Pastor Nicole is, as that as the high eye, she loves to party. And that is, let's celebrate. And that's the reason we come together. And that's the reason we have demonstrative worship like what we had this morning, which was excellent. It's in response to the very fact that we know who we are in Christ. You see what I'm saying? And he says, and I want you to walk in a manner that is worthy. Walk in that process. And what is that? It isn't us doing it by works. You can't love God more. He loves you completely. As I understand this and I respond to him, it comes out of an absolute gratitude of thankfulness. If I don't understand this, then I tend to get a little puffed up and in my works. And I say things like, do you know how much I've sacrificed for the Lord all these years? God says, I don't care. Do you know how much I sacrificed? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's one of the first things it says. And Paul wrote as well to the Romans, and we had to memorize that as a staff, Romans 8. And uh, we talked about that. The flesh goes this direction, but the spirit goes that. And if you understand that and you read through that book sometimes along with Ephesians, you'll realize that the flesh is constantly, if we're thinking and operating in the flesh, then we'll try to do it ourselves. If we're operating in the spirit, then we realize, I'm grateful, I'm thankful, and I've been redeemed. And because Christ is in me, I'm a work in progress. And so are you. And the conflict that I run into is not my conflict. It's his. Because he uses it for some other purpose. Otherwise, here's what happens. We walk into church, and I see it. I, I, I love this. Um, I ran into, it was uh, Dave Bemis, who used to pastor a family worship center for a number of years. Every time we'd see him or he'd come in here, we'd do a joint thing. He'd come in, and, he'd, and I'd say, hey, Dave, how you doing? He says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little better than perfect, but I'm getting better. And he would say that almost every time. And what he meant by that is he understood he was perfect because of who Christ is. But every day I'm getting better. Every day I'm getting better. Now here's what happens. We walk in, and, and I've done this before. I've walked up to somebody and I said, so how are you doing today? And they start to tell you. And I'm thinking, oh, did I really want to know? Yes. But, there, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, we laugh at that, but yes. I mean, sometimes people will say, well, let me tell you this and this and this. Well, we get the opposite sometimes. Sometimes we say, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you? It's just kind of that quick response. All right? Now, I'm not saying that we need to blurt our guts out to everybody who we walk into in the lobby. But what I am saying is, within the body of Christ, we need to encourage one another. 
We need to lift up one another. And we need to have those safe places where I can say, you know what, I'm growing and I'm struggling in this area. Can you pray with me? Can you pray for me? Can you work it through? And I love it when that happens because that's exactly what he's doing. But let's not put on that facade. You know, I mean, we don't have to wear our emotions on our sleeves all the time. But at the same time, if we understand, and this, I keep going back to this, that's why I want these chairs here. I want you to understand this. If you haven't got the first three chapters deep embedded in your spirit, that's where you start. And that's where you, you go. I, we can't make those trees grow. All we can do is create the environment. Those trees know how to grow. God's spirit grows in and through us, and all I can do is create the environment, which means the process is I've got to be in Christ. And if I understand that, it will make us stronger, and it will work us through that. So how am I to walk? He says in verse 2. You love that? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another. My natural response is to react. If I've been forgiven much, I will be incredibly grateful, and I will be incredibly thankful. And I know we've, I've been around churches long enough that I've seen people, oh, I'm blessed, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, everything's great. I'm really doing great. And you almost want to say, really? All the time? I mean, I'd like to see you first thing in the morning. See how you are. You know, you know what I'm saying? But yet, we are blessed. And we need to say that. And we need to understand that. And so what he's saying is, if you're truly blessed, we'll live our life out with humility. Rather than say, well, this is what I have done. This is how I've worked at it. No, we recognize that due to the grace of God and my unworthiness of it. But yet he chose us. Even Paul said it. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote 14 books in the New Testament. Here's what he said, that God should choose me less than the least of all the saints to bestow this abundant glory that I should preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. That man who truly understood what God has done, a person that really understands that is humbled. And that's what we'll do. We'll walk in humility and we'll understand that. The idea is clear. We don't walk so that God will love us, but we walk in such a way because of the way God loves us. That's what makes it exciting. It's motivated out of gratitude, not out of desire to earn the merit. The part that gets me on this verse, though, is when he goes to the next one. Showing tolerance for one another. Oh, no. Oh, no. You talk about conflict. Well, what about that person I just can't get along with? What am I supposed to do with that? Joyce Landorf said years ago that everybody has that irregular person. The person that just walks in the room, they don't have to say anything. They just are like fingers on a chalkboard. And it just drives you nuts. You know what I've said? And I have one of those too. And I've just one. No, just kidding. <laughs> I've understood over time. Think of it this way. Do you know they're a child of God too? And God made them the way they are for a reason. And even though you may rub you the wrong way, it's a couple of thoughts that go with that. First of all, you're going to have to spend eternity in heaven together. Oh, I can handle that. They can be over there and I can be over here. That works. No, 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 no. I don't think it works that way. But he says, here's this. He knows that there's going to be tension between people simply because God created us all so differently from one another. Because God loves diversity. I love this. You can't change your circumstances or even the people around you. In fact, you can't even change you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job then during your change and transition and growing up is to learn to trust the promiser. You see, our natural tendency is to jump in and try to control the situation. I can handle this. I got this one. It's all on my own. 
So why did God make us so different then? Why did he do that? Well, we've got different personalities. Have you ever noticed that, I've heard this said before, opposites attract, and then usually about four months later, opposites repel? <laughs> and sometimes when people say, and I, I love this one, you know, the, the great, they always say the greatest love story. We just came through Valentine's Day, and they talked about that, and they had the 10 best romantic movies. And number one on the list was that one in Jerry Maguire where he comes flying in there and says, you complete me, you know? And you find somebody that doesn't know she doesn't complete you because months down the road you find out you irritate me, you know? And we've learned and I found out that after 35 years of marriage, almost 35 years of marriage, that she's always right and it works. No, we've learned, you know, it's that given and taken and understanding God has created us all so unique and different. No doubt you've probably heard the proverb from Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Oh, we love that one. We love to celebrate with a high five or a fist pump and say, yeah, I like that one. That's a good one, especially for the, the manly man. You know, it's all about, you know, let's, let's play some football. Let's do something serious here. But stop and think about that for a minute. Think about that process. For one piece of iron to sharpen another, friction is imperative. Ooh. Um, sharpening occurs as one smooth, sharp edge of iron rubs against the separate rough edge of the other. As two edges connect, the rough edge grinds away to reveal a smooth, sharp edge. The differences, not the similarities, supply the friction necessary to produce the sharpening. And then when you're done, you show tolerance. It's a process. It's a process. Sometimes God puts people into your life, and I won't say every time because I'm not God. I can only tell you based on what his word says and praying and understanding. But when God says, I created all these people, and if you look at scripture, Psalm 139, verse 14 says, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that well. Your works are wonderful. I know that from Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I know that from scripture that basically he's ordered all of my steps before one came to be. And if that's the case, and suddenly two people come together at a t date and time, and they seem to sharpen each other or rub each other, the question is, maybe God has a plan or a purpose for it. If we don't follow Paul's process, if we don't understand it, then what happens is we get so caught up in the very fact that I just don't like that person in the natural. And what he wants us to do is to submit to the process. Not every prayer is answered the way we want it to. Sometimes things happen for reasons we just can't explain. They don't make sense. They even seem to seem unfair. So I'm just gonna encourage you with this, that today if you're going through a rough time, you're going through something that you're just thinking, I, I just don't know if I can get through this. And because if you're not going through one, you're about to, because that's the way it works within us. But I want you to understand this. One of my favorite quotes is this one, I love it. I didn't come up with it. I saw it somewhere and I wrote it down. God will never waste pain that's offered to him. No matter what we go through, no matter what the pain, God is sometimes saying, I'd hate this conflict, but in Christ, I know who I am. I'm gonna go through this anyway because I can't change the circumstances, but I can submit myself to God. That's part of the process. And as I do, he says, okay, let me take it. And however long. We sang about it this morning. Sometimes God just parts the sea and we walk right through. Other times God changes our heart. And sometimes God changes the circumstances entirely. I can't say it works that way every time. I don't know that process. It's up to God. I know that we know from his word he does any one of those. But frankly, God never wastes your heartache. 
He will never waste your loss. And frankly, from the verse that we just memorized this week, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything to the conformity of the purpose of his will. I like that. So what about this conflict? What is the purpose? Sometimes God uses it to change the course. Sometimes God says, I want you to leave someplace, and I want you to do something else, and the only way I'm going to do it is through conflict. We've got to trust him in the process that no matter what happens. You know, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this. God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And all that, although that is true, sometimes we stop right there and say, well, you know, I just don't think like God thinks. However, let me add a couple with it. In Romans 8, verse 11, it says, God's spirit empowers and guides our thoughts to align us to his. So let's just not sit back and say God's ways are higher than ours. God says no. Again, we are what? In Christ. God's ways become part of our ways. If we seek him, that's the process. His spirit corrects and convicts us if we get off track. Psalm 32, verse 8. We possess the mind of Christ, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 2. And when we seek him first in everything, he will give us the desires of our heart. Psalm 37, 4. I like that one. So here's the key. Pulling this all together. And the last part, honestly, I got three quick aspects of this to tell you. And I mean quick. And you'll see what I'm saying here. He says this, and it's our memory verse on your card for this week. The second one. Make every effort to keep the unity and the bond of peace. The unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. What does that mean? It's real simple this way. Listen to this. You were born to make an impact in this world, and you know it. We've all known it. Deep down inside, you feel it in your bones. That's, why we, that's what, part of what drives us. And no matter how deep this hunger then growls for each one of us, we can only make a meaningful impact if we are in Christ. If we're not in Christ, we're floundering. You've got to understand that. Paul said, first three chapters, in Christ. Move from this seat into this one to understand what he's done for us. So he says, make every effort. That means diligence. That means submit to the process. That means don't just give it a try. Don't just, you know, kind of come on. And I realize we live in a society right now that when we teach a class or we put something out, nobody wants to commit to 12 or 13 weeks. I might miss out on something. I have to tell you, it's the process. It's part of what he says. It's the long, drawn-out process. Let me give you a quick illustration of that. Some of you probably noticed in the last two years I've lost some weight. I've lost 53 pounds, actually, because I decided that, uh, yeah, because, and I will tell you, and the reason I did that is three years ago when my grandson was born, I got down on the floor and tried to get up and realized, oh, wait a second. I got a little extra weight here, and it doesn't want to go there. And I also decided, since Chloe and Luke were getting married, I decided that the last two weddings I was in, the suit was a little tight. And I decided that I was going to lose 60 pounds by age 60. Now I fell seven pounds short. Look at me. Do I look bad? Okay. But I'm telling you what, the last 18 that I really want to lose, because I decided I want to go a little farther, but it's a process. And let me tell you something, I've done a lot of research and a lot of study, and it's not just what I eat, it's not just the, the diet you do, it's a lifestyle change. And I'm going to tell you at the same time, it involves the way I sleep, it involves the way I drink, it involves the uh, vitamins I take, it involves the exercise, it involves everything. It's the same thing in our spiritual walk. He says, make every effort to remind yourself, first of all, if you lose sight, go back to the beginning. 
And make sure that you understand in the first place, in the first three chapters, that we are in Christ. Because when we do that, we will walk with humility and patience and gentleness and understanding and tolerance for other people. You see what I'm saying? So he says, make every effort to keep the unity. What is unity? God never meant for us to do this alone. In fact, God said, I don't want you to create unity. You can't. The Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit's the only one that can create the unity. Our job is to keep it. That means if somebody rubs me the wrong way, if somebody within the church is different than I am, then I need to find out what unifying factor we have. What do you think that unifying factor is? Oh yeah, it's right here in this chair. It is in Christ. You follow me? Okay, make every effort to understand that. Paul then mentions here that there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God the Father who is over all. That is spiritual unity. But he does it with diversity. Diversity is the condition of having or being composed of different elements. It's not uniformity. If it was uniformity, then we'd all be exactly identical. Can you imagine that? There would be one shade of color, black or white. Maybe, I don't know, I'm not going there. Unity is a way of combining parts then in a work of art so that they seem like they absolutely belong together. It's a condition of harmony. It's the way that God works unity is through spiritual gifts. And he says, I want you to make every effort then to keep the unity of the peace through the bond. Now, I told you before, these are going to be spiritual gifts. Paul mentions in several different places, I don't know why he didn't put it all in one, but in Romans, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the various different types of gifts that are there. And he mentions the four. They're motivational gifts. They're gifts that basically are, there are seven of them that, that, that cause us to decide what, we, what, what motivates us in the first place. Where do we get the energy from? And then there are ministry gifts. There are nine of those that are given throughout the body that he says, I want you to eagerly desire all of them and use them all. And he says those later in chapter 12. In Ephesians chapter 4, down in verse 11, he talks about these little bitty gifts. There's, there's four of them. Some would say that there's five. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teacher. And he said, I've given those gifts to you as part of the church. And he said, in there, you need to listen to them because they're the ones that provide the direction. You are in Christ. Their job is to help edify and teach and to build up the body so that the people of God can do the work of ministry. It is not the pastors that do the work of ministry. It's the people. Did you get that? It's not the pastor that does the ministry. It's the people. It's the pastor's job to teach. What if I don't like that teaching? Submit to it. That's the process. You follow me? And that's what he's saying. So I'm not going to allude to each of those, but I just want to tell you, and I won't tell you what the others are. You have to find those out by going to the foundations class or take my shape class, and I'll be glad to expound on those, or I can give you the scripture reference that goes with each one of them. But the fourth one that he gives us is what we call the manifestational gifts, and those are the, 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 the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives as he sees will, healings, tongues, interpretation, and, and all of that, that for the body, for building the body up. But Paul was one of those that was one of those apostles, and he started the new works and foundation. And there are some of those today that start those new, new things. The prophets are those that take, tell directly from the divine word of God to the church today. They speak foretelling. It's the prophetic edge that comes out of them. The evangelists are those like the Billy Grahams, Franklin Grahams, that reach out to the unsaved. Now, sometimes people say to me, well, isn't the church's job to evangelize? Not according to scripture. Not if you read it according to scripture. The church's job is to equip the people. Equipping, I love this, Equipping means the idea of putting right. 
It is used for setting broken bones and for mending nets. So these ministries then work together to produce a strong, mended, fit Christians. God's people do the real work of ministry. The leaders in the church have the first responsibility to equip them. Story is told by Chuck Smith. If you know who he is at all, he was in Costa Mesa. Chuck Smith, most people know as being the leader of the, uh, the Calvary Chapel Church. He doesn't see himself as a denomination. But what most people don't know is Chuck Smith was fired from his first church because he tried so hard after he came out of seminary to be an evangelist. And he realized that after a few years of trying to just soul win in the midst of that, and again, because it was biblical, we're supposed to be out you know, winning souls. But as he did that, he realized he just felt kind of that incongruence. And, and after he had left that, he realized, you know what, God's called me, according to Ephesians 4.11, to be a pastor, to just teach the word and let God's word do what it will to the people and let them evangelize. And the end result was an explosion of evangelism that took place. And it was in the 70s. That was when I was in Bible college. I was in Costa Mesa going to Vanguard University, which was about four miles from Calvary Chapel. And Sunday nights, I would go over and sit underneath uh, Chuck Smith's teaching. And he would teach the Word of God after they had one or two songs. He would teach the Word of God from approximately 7.15 at night until 10 p.m. And not a soul moved. All he did was taught the Word. He didn't have an altar call. He just taught the Word. And the people went out. And the next thing you know, the church just grew. And it grew. And it grew. And it's absolutely explosive. Because he just did what God told him to do. So I'm just telling you, not that we carbon copy that, but I'm just telling you exactly what we're supposed to do as a church is equip. If we don't know who we are in Christ, we don't submit to the process, we're not going to grow very well. Got it? You understand that? Let me wrap all this up and say this. In the book Rooted by Bannon Lebster, he makes this story about David. And he said he used David as one that explains how we expand our own root system. It happens in the hidden places. It doesn't happen when we gather here. It happened for David in a field of prayerful devotion, in a season of David serving as a young child, in a cave of community where God prepared David for his crown. And we know that later, what David became as a result of that, God does the same thing with each of us. There is no instant spirituality. It's a process. And that process is that we need to be faithful to the calling that's been placed for us. We need to be cheerful in our service. If you're not cheerful, it's because you're serving in the wrong spot. And I can help you discover what that is. That's part of what the body's for. That's part of what those spiritual gifts are for, is to discover those so that you know where you serve so you can serve cheerfully, because that's what God wants. And then we're, supposed to, we're called to be faithful. The fruit that comes out as a result is pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. So if we seek him first... If we meditate on his word, if we memorize it, it works. That's the process. You can't change it. So look at your own life. Are you embracing God's process? Some, sometimes the painstaking and maddening process. When we can release ourselves to God, we will find that we can thrive and be what he has developed in us rather than to succumb to discouragement. Oh, we all fight times of discouraging. That's okay. It's part of the pain. It's part of the conflict. What do we do when we have that pain? I don't know about you, but I find myself, I don't know if it's just I'm getting old, but the last couple of weeks, I've been waking up at 4 or 4.30 every morning. What is that? You know? But I've been waking up, and then I'll lay there for a while, and I've learned this from years ago. It's like if I get woken up, the first thing I say is, all right, God, what are you trying to tell me? And I'll pray through everything I know to do, and then I sometimes, like this morning, my wife said, oh, yeah, I noticed you got out of bed at 4.30. Yeah, I did. Because I just, I, I just wide awake. And you got to understand, I'm not a morning person. 
And I went to college and I cleaned restaurants late at night. I love the night. <laughs> when I have a problem, you know what I do? I go sit back in Jesus' lap and I say, Lord, this isn't my problem. This is yours. What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? And I encourage you to just put yourself back in that because you know what? You can't produce the fruit. What we do is we have a tendency to say, you know what? What are people going to think of me? We're worried about that. We only cater to an audience of one. Absolutely. I was highly encouraged this morning that just as I got here and the pastors were meeting for prayers, normally Pastor Nicole would, my phone went off. I felt it vibrate, and I picked it up and looked at it, and it was our new pastor. And she said, I just want you to know I'm praying for you this morning. And I appreciated that. But I want you to know, irrespective of how well you like this message or don't, it doesn't matter what you think. The only thing that matters to me is what God thinks. And in my planning and preparation, and yeah, I'm nervous like everybody else was, okay? And understanding, my job is to deliver the word and to try to encourage you to be reminded once again that we are in Christ. We are not perfect, but we are forgiven. And we are redeemed, and he has a plan, and he is ordering our steps. And when he does, it would work. Would you stand with me? I want to pray a prayer over us this morning, similar to what Paul prayed in two of his prayers in, this, in Ephesians. And it goes like this. Heavenly Father, I pray and I ask you right now that you would give us all the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you've called each of us and understand the riches of our inheritance that you've given to us. I ask now that you would strengthen us, Lord, with the power through your spirit in each of our inner beings and so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we may be rooted and established in love to grasp the true depth of the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses our understanding and knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And now help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that's been placed on each of us and help us to grow out of what we were and into the future. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.